0: Good morning, we are nearing the end of the school year, is that good or bad for you? Good for some? Got a full yee it's like being back home in Texas. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13 today, 2 Samuel chapter 13, continuing through the life of David. So we come to the end of the school year, uh, my daughters had field day at school. Anybody have field day at school? Uh, so week before last, they had field day, and it was a blast. A man and I went out to watch, and the crown jewel, the crown jewel of field day activities is the tug-of-war at the end of the day. And so, you know, it's class versus class, Mrs. Ross's class versus Mrs whoever, I don't know, I just know Mrs. Ross. She's my kid's teacher, right? And they're, and they're, it's tug of war and it's full on battle royale. Who's gonna take the cake? Uh, my daughter's class went undefeated. Thank you very much. And so, but then this is where it really gets good because what they do is each grade they take and they have the boys pull against the girls at the end, you know? And so I'm, I'm team girl all the way for the second grade tug of war because my daughter's on the rope, right? And so I'm cheering for the girls and they're going and and. The guys somehow, I don't know how because the girls look bigger and stronger at this age to me, but the guys get an advantage. They start, they start moving the rope and they're like six inches from victory, right? And I'm thinking, oh man, here we go. And then the, the teacher who was helping took the rope and pulled it back to the girl's side <laughs> to about six inches away from victory for them, at which point two high school girls jumped onto the girl's side and yanked the rope across the line. It was awesome unless you were a boy. Because every boy, and this is what happened. This, I'm, it was like watching mass chaos unfold because every boy howled, injustice has been done to us. Did you not witness the gross injustice that just took place? And every girl acted like nothing happened. Every girl just went over to every boy and went, we beat you, and you'd have nothing. And I just couldn't help but think to myself, this is, this is just a picture of life going forward. Not boys and girls pitted against one another. We're supposed to be teammates, okay? Not competitors. But it was such a picture of life because here's what happened. There was an injustice that took place. The boys got cheated, yes? They absolutely got cheated. Some of the women were like, no, uh-uh, no. I still deny it. Right, clearly the boys had an, had an injustice happen against them. And when we have injustices happen against us, how do we react? Oh, we want the whole world to know about it. We will tell anyone who will listen. I mean, we, we, we want to speak about the injustice that's been, that's been done to us. But when the injustice has been done on our behalf, we act as, it's like we didn't see it. It's like we had no idea. Wait, what, we've had this advantage the whole time? Somebody pulled the rope in my direction? I had no idea. And this is how it is with injustice. So often, when it's done in our favor, we don't see it when it's done against us, we can see nothing but it. And as we look at David's life today, and we've turned the corner on David's story, and you remember that one of the things that God is teaching us through the life of David is that there's, there's really only one true king. Even the best king falls short, and it was never God's design for humans to be ruled by human kings. They were, they were supposed to have one king, and so we see in David, even the best of kings, we see shortcomings. We saw it last week as Nate preached so effectively to us about David's sin with Bathsheba and his choices that he made that, that led to him murdering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And we, we saw the absolute failure of a king to be the kind of king that God delighted in. And again, as we turn the page today to the very next chapter in Scripture, we're going to see again David's failure, but in a different way. And we're going to learn from that. So let's look together if we can, at 2 Samuel chapter 13. And let's, the, the theme of our text today is just simply this. The king that God chooses does something about injustice. The king the, the person that God delights to put his authority on is someone who doesn't stay silent in the face of injustice. They say something and they take action when they see injustice take place. Look with me. Uh, We're going to read the whole story here. So we're going to read the first 22 verses now. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. That would be better said, lusted for her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now, make no mistake, it's his sister as well. You need to understand that. But he's saying she's Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, "'Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him.' So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, "'Send out everyone from me.' So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, "'Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand.'" And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel, Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. She said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me but he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom Said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Lord, as we come to your word, we come to a hard story today, and one that I'm very aware Lord raises probably hurt for many among us, and so we pray that you would show us your word today and its healing power. We thank you that you have placed this story here to teach and instruct us, to convict us of unrighteousness, and to call us to be people who speak out against injustice, Help us to see it now. Would you give me your heart for your people and the preaching of your word? We pray that you come, Holy Spirit, now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, obviously a hard story. Let me tell you, there's three reasons God put this story in the scriptures. There's three, okay? And those three reasons are number one, to remind us that sin always has consequences. Number one is to remind us that sin always has consequences. You may remember when we heard the story of David and Bathsheba in chapter 12, so just one chapter before. What Nathan, the prophet, said to David was, the sword will never depart from your house and essentially, you're going, to, you're going to reap consequences for the sin that you've committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah. You're going to reap consequences for that. And it didn't take long for those consequences to come to bear. One of the reasons we'll see that David is unwilling and unable to speak out against Amnon's sin is because it reminds him of whose sin? His own. And so he falls silent in the face of grave injustice. Sin always has consequences. Even when the Lord has delivered us from the eternal consequences of our sin, so often we still face earthly consequences of the choices that we make. And that's exactly the case here because we saw David repented. And God said, I've removed your sin. I've removed it from you. And David cries out and he knows this is taking place. And yet there is still a consequence to David's sin. And we don't have to wait more than five, six verses before we see those consequences come to bear in David's own family. The second reason this text is here, the second reason this text is here is to invite us to be people who do something about injustice. That's really what we're supposed to see. When we see the king here not respond to injustice and do something about it, what we're supposed to see is we are to be people who do not remain silent in the face of injustice. When we encounter it and have opportunity to do something about it, we are to be people who speak out against injustice and don't just feel bad about it like David did. He was angry. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament says, but he was unwilling to do anything about it because he loved Amnon, his oldest son. He played favorites. and so I'm gonna do nothing on behalf of my daughter because of what my son did because my son is in line for the throne. We're supposed to see that we're to be people who do something about injustice. And the final, the final reason this text is here, the final reason this text is here is because it's here to show us that God will do something about injustice even when we won't. And that's meant to be a healing balm for us who have experienced injustice. If you've experienced injustice like this or of another kind, this text is here to remind you and to hopefully tell you that God sees you, that God sees the injustice done against you, and he will do something about it. He's not left you or abandoned you or forgotten you. It's incredibly important, and we'll, we'll see that a little bit more as we go through the story verse by verse, but you know. One of the great things, one of the reasons, this gets skipped over sometimes. In fact, there was an article in Christianity Today, oddly enough, this week about this very passage saying, we don't preach this passage. And I thought, well, (laughs) we're talking about it this Sunday. And as we move through the scriptures, one of the things that should stand out to us is maybe one of the reasons this doesn't get preached that much is because we get confused when we see that David was a king who had a heart like God's heart, and yet we watch his injustice and his failures, and we can't. Bring the two together somehow. And so we maybe just skip over this. But friends, that's the wrong thing to do. Because the thing to understand is the reason the scriptures always show us the flaws and the failures of our heroes is to remind us there's really only one hero. Like even the best are not that great. And it keeps us from worshiping David. And it keeps us from worshiping whoever other hero in the scriptures. The disciples look like fools again and again in the gospels. Have you noticed that? In the gospel of Mark, the major theme, one of the major themes of the entire gospel is the failure of the disciples over and over and over again. Go home and read it today and just recognize how often Mark is making the point, they don't get it, they mess up, they fall short again and again. Why is that the emphasis? Because there's only one hero. And he wants us to see it. God wants us to see that there's only one hero. By the way, that's another reason to give credence to the scriptures. No other religious book so plainly portrays the failings of the people that it claims are actually the ones moving the story forward. The ones that God uses fail so often that the only conclusion can be, man, this must be a pretty honest telling of the story because they're writing it about themselves and telling on themselves, so to speak. Who would do that? unless they were trying to point to the reality that this is what actually happened it's historically reliable this is the story as it unfolded god wants you to understand those who suffer under injustice that he sees and that he knows and he includes the story he could have gone right past this story into other injustice i mean he could have gone right on into the next thing that happened he didn't have to tell this story it's almost like a little sidebar in the story, it does help us understand what's going to happen next in the family of David and how Absalom and Amnon are going to get really sideways with one another, to say the least. So it helps us understand the story as it goes forward. But at the end of the day, the reason this is reported and that it's here is to help us understand that God sees it and He knows it and He will do something about it and He has done something about it. So then let's look. So the question that comes to us then, if one of the major reasons this is here is, well, how do we, it's, it's here to, t- to encourage us to be people who speak when we encounter injustice, then the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we become people who speak out against injustice? Have you recognized that it's hard to do that? It's hard to do it. It's hard to speak out injustice. As, as much as we would love to believe that it's simple and easy to see when we see power abused, when we see someone poorly treated, when we see injustice done, as much as we'd love to believe that it's very easy to say something or to do something, how many of us have been in that situation and said nothing and done nothing? Because we recognize it's really hard. How many of us have heard a friend say something we know is not right? We know what they've said is absolutely not right and yet we remain silent rather than saying something in response? How many of us have witnessed someone commit an unjust act against someone else and done nothing about it. So we need to study and the graciousness of God is that he puts this story here in part to help us see how to become these kinds of people. How do we become the kinds of people who will do something about injustice? So some of our observations today will do this. They'll teach us what it is, what is injustice. So some of the observations will be along those lines. Some will talk about where it comes from and then some will talk about how it grows. How injustice grows, both in us and in others. And in learning those lessons, what God intends for us today is that we would become people who will speak out against injustice whenever and wherever he brings us into its path. So let's look at some of these observations today, shall we? Yes? All right, so observation number one. Observation number one is that injustice begins with being self-centered, which is really simple, And the reason I tell you that is this, I want you to understand that injustice in us when we become the perpetrators of it, if we were to become the perpetrators of it, does not begin with some grand act of injustice. It begins with the simple act of becoming a self-centered person. You notice in verse two, right? Look at what happened in verse two. The very first thing, we saw Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister, whose name was Tamar, and after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And then verse two, and Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and then what does it say? And it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. That language is really intentional. The writer of scripture there is trying to make the point to us, Amnon viewed Tamar as an object, not as a person. It seemed impossible to him to do anything to her. In other words, what can I get from her and I'm gonna make myself sick because of the thing I want from her and can't find a way to get because she's my sister, because she's reserved and kept from me. The law, by the way, in Leviticus chapter 18, absolutely prohibits what Amnon wants to do. 100% and he knows it and he can't figure out a way around it. So Amnon shows at the very beginning, verse two, that he is, his journey of injustice begins with a simple act of just being a self-centered person. He doesn't look at someone else and say, how do I serve them, care for them, think of their needs ahead of my own. What does he think first? I want to get something from them and I've got to figure out a way to make that happen. The path to becoming a person who commits injustice really does begin that simply. Because once you begin to see others as means to your ends rather than as objects of God's love, you can begin to justify anything. So, if that's a simple beginning to the path of injustice, let me give you a simple uh, guard against it. Make a regular pattern of being others centered, God centered, and then others centered after that, rather than being self centered. If you're single, Here's a good piece of advice. Have a roommate. Like just have someone that's gonna care if you leave the dishes in the sink too long. Now I know you're thinking like, okay, that I'm, I'm not making light of how gross and injustice this is. I'm just saying it begins so simply that you have to begin with very simple everyday remedies to self-centeredness. You have to think wisely about it all the time because self-centeredness will take root in you so quickly unless you have a regular pattern. It's one of the reasons we would call you as a church to be serving here in the church, because we want you to make it a regular pattern to give your time and energy and effort away for the sake of others, right? It's why we take an offering every week, one of the reasons, right? It's not because God wants your money. It's more about what God wants for you than what he wants from you. What he wants for you is to become a generous person. And as you become a generous person, guess what you're not becoming? A self-centered person. Just, just holding loosely our time, our talents, our treasure, just holding those things loosely is the simplest pathway to avoiding walking down the self-centered pathway where people become means to your ends. And in, once that becomes the case, friends, trust me, it is not a long road from there to injustice. It is not a long road from there to injustice. So self-centeredness is where it begins. Observation number two, injustice grows when we keep the wrong company. Injustice grows when we keep the wrong company. In verses three through five, Jonadab, who is Amnon's cousin, gives him wicked advice. Now we don't know that Jonadab is thinking of rape in that moment, but what we do know is that he's helping facilitate Amnon's selfish desires. He's helping Amnon get what he wants from his sister, and he's facilitating that. It says he was a crafty man, Uh, normally that, that word there is translated, he was wise, but here it's used in a negative sense. Almost every other time it's used in a positive sense, but here we find it used in a negative sense. Jonadab, he was a crafty man. In other words, what we're meant to see is Amnon's keeping the wrong company. He's seeking the wrong counsel. He's going to the wrong person for advice. And injustice has the ability to grow in us when we do not have the right counsel in our lives we don't have the right people speaking into our lives. This is why we invite you into life groups as a church constantly. And not just we don't just want you to be in a life group, we want you to be in the right kind of life group. And what that looks like is you know the simplest act to help avoid going down this road of self-centeredness and injustice is to become a person who regularly just asks people who know you well to check your motives when you're making a decision. When you go to make a decision, just ask the people in your your people in your life group should know you well. They should see you, they should understand what's going on in your life, and when you have a decision to make, one of the best things you can do, so simple, right, is just to say to them, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, what do you see about my motives? Let me invite you to tell me what you see about my motives in making this kind of a choice. Invite people to speak to what they see. People are reticent to do that without being asked, at least most people are, okay? Some people, not so much. Right, But most people are reticent to say, hey, I'm really questioning your motives on that. I'm really questioning the choice that you're making. And if you don't invite them in, if you don't ask them, they're probably gonna be reticent to see it, and then that leads to all kinds of disaster, honestly. So just to be a person who simply says this, before I move forward in a chosen path, I'm gonna ask someone who knows me well, cares about me, what they see in my motives in that. Church, does that make sense? These are simple things, but their injustice grows when we keep the wrong company. Observation number three. Oh, so let me share, Proverbs 27.6 should be just like emblazoned on your heart when it comes to that point. Proverbs 27, six says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Jonadab has lips full of kisses for Amnon. Profuse. Are the kisses of what truly is an enemy to Amnon, who does not help him, one iota. If he had wounded Amnon in that moment by telling him no, this is injustice, don't go forward in it, he would have saved his friend's life. But he was unwilling. Observation number three. Injustice grows when we fail to exercise discernment. We find this in verse six and seven. David seems to have a habit of coddling his son, is what we find in verse six and seven. And he exercises absolutely no discernment. There are plenty of servants to feed your son if your son's sick. Did you notice that? Odd, oddly specific requests. Would you please send Tamar to make food for me while I'm sick so that I don't have to get out of bed or do anything. Don't send one of the servants. Don't send one of the cooks. Don't send one of the people who actually do this. Send my sister to me. And David exercises zero discernment. He just goes, okay, sure, whatever you want. And Amnon seemed to know that that would be the case. He seemed to know that his father would do whatever he asked him to do. And injustice can grow whenever we as the people of God don't exercise discernment. And that can look a bunch of different ways, but much injustice continues in the world because we fail to examine, because we fail to examine what may seem like harmless or perhaps even reasonable actions, but we don't analyze them to see the true motives behind them. This happens at the policy level in government all the time. It happens systemically in our culture. It happens all the time where we we as believers fail to stop and ask the question, this thing that's being put forward, what's the motive behind it? What's the end game? What's being pursued? As Christians, we can never stop asking that question because we have to apply a biblical worldview to all of our choices and decisions. And until we look at every Everything, every aspect of our work life, the way we think about politics and governance, the way we think about church life, until we stop and ask ourselves the question, I have to ask the question of the why, the motive behind the thing that's being said to me. Things that may seem harmless may have really dangerous motives behind them. They may have a really dangerous end game behind them. And much injustice continues in the world because Christians fail to ask that question. They just fail to pause and stop and ask, what's the aim here? And that's exactly what David does. David could have put this to rest if he said, you don't need Tamar to come. I'll send one of the servants to care for your needs while you're sick. And that would have been that. But David fails to exercise discernment and so injustice grows. Observation number four. Injustice grows when victims are the only ones speaking the truth. Injustice grows when victims are the only ones speaking the truth. Look at verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, after Amnon makes his proposition, Tamar says, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. So the first thing she tries to speak to him is the truth of the fact that this is against the law. It's literally against God's law. Stop, don't, don't do this. Do not do this outrageous thing. And then she tries to appeal to him at the level of the shame that she would feel upon herself. Please don't put this on me. Think about me, your sister. Think about someone other than your own selfish desire. She tries that. Where could I go in my shame? There are some cultural nuances to what she's speaking about there with her shame in the ancient Near East. And then in verse 13, and then she tries a whole other thing. Well, she says, as for me, where can I carry my shame at the beginning of verse 13? And then she tries to appeal thirdly. And as for you, you would be like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. So now she just tries, okay, I'm not getting anywhere with this. Let me now try to appeal to his own self-centeredness. They're like, you're not going to, this isn't going to go well for you if you do this to me. You're going to be considered one of the, the biggest fools in our country. Everyone knows that what you're about to do is the marker of someone who's foolish, not wise. Don't do this. And last of all, she finally, she finally says, uh, uh, speak to the king and perhaps he'll, he'll, he won't withhold me from you. Well, she's suggesting something that the king can't do because it's against the law. But she's trying anything at this point just to get out of the room. She's the only one in the whole story who speaks the truth about what's taking place. Do you see that? The victim is the only one who says anything. Now Absalom later is gonna get angry and he's gonna, but even he, what does he do? He quiets her. Shh. She's mourning, she's put ashes on her head, she's ripped her robe. She's grieving publicly, to demonstrate what's been done. She's actually, as a victim, speaking about the injustice that's been done to her. And even Absalom, who's gonna take up her side, even he hushes her. Shh. Just don't worry about it, at least not for now. Don't be silent. Injustice grows when the victims are the only ones who will say anything. And this is what's particularly Crushing about injustice. Now I have to, let me acknowledge here that I have not been the victim of much, if any, injustice. So I'm learning from, brother, I'm standing on the shoulders of brothers and sisters here, okay? But one of the crushing things is that, that makes injustice particularly so difficult is that when the victim of injustice knows they are speaking the truth about what's being done to them and no one is listening, what's being ripped from them is their sense of agency, that they have any power in the world, Right, that they have any authority. It's just being their voices being completely taken. And when their cries fall on deaf ears, it's not, just, it's not just that no one's speaking for them. It's that no one even hears when they speak or believes what they're saying is true, that someone else has to say it on their behalf in order for anyone to even believe that what they're saying has taken place has taken place. Tamar is trying to tell what has been done to her And she's the only one. I know some of you have been through that. And the thing that we find about this, and and we'll find it again later, is that even when no one has spoken for you, you need to know that God is and will speak for you. He will. So as God's people, we have to learn to speak God's truth with people who are treated unjustly. We have to learn to speak God's truth with people who are treated unjustly. Observation number five. Injustice grows because we believe the wrong things about power. Injustice will grow because we believe the wrong things about power. Verse 14 puts it really simply. We're just walking through the text here. Hope you can see that. Verse 14 puts it so simply when it says, Amnon wouldn't listen to her and being what? Stronger than her. Just had his way, did did what he wanted. Why? Because he was stronger than her. And what that tells us is that Amnon was a fool who didn't understand what power really was existing for. Listen, friends, as Christians, it must be one of your core convictions that any power you possess. Any power that God has chosen to put in your hands has been put in your hands to serve others. That is a core conviction of any follower of Christ. Any power I possess is not for my own advantage, it is to serve those over whom I have authority. That is my role, that is my work. And if you don't embed that deeply within yourself as a core conviction and principle of life, you will begin to be tempted to use power for your own ends rather than to serve those over whom you have power and authority. There is no such thing as a a Christian who wields power in the way that God desires them to that does anything with that power other than serve those over whom they have authority. Why can I say that with an absolute authority? Because Jesus who had all power and authority did what for us? Served us in the use of that power. That's what he did and it's what he does. We are to be people who use power. It's a core conviction of every follower of Christ that their power is for the sake of serving others. Observation number six. Am I moving at an okay pace here? All right, good. Not too fast, not too slow. Nate made fun of how fast I talk last week. Don't think I didn't notice that, Nate. <laughs> number six, love you too. <laughs> Observation number six, injustice creates unreasonable hatred in the one who performs it. Now this one is weird to me, okay? Let me just say, here's what happened, did you notice the? and And it's so telling that the scriptures say this. Amnon loved Tamar, and then the second this takes place, what's the very next thing that happens? He hated her, and the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. First of all, whenever the scriptures pause in a story to take time to investigate the inner workings of a heart and mind, they are trying to tell you something. Pay attention, right? Look at what's taking place in the heart and understand that what is taking place in this heart is what takes place in in hearts of people all the time. So pay attention to the heart manifestations of this. What the scriptures are telling us here is the second Amnon treats her, because he's treating her as an object, he's self-centered, He's thinking only about his own desires. And the second he's gotten what he wanted, now his disposition towards her changes. Because once you use an object up and don't need it anymore, you don't care about it anymore. But here's what baffles me. It would make total sense to me if you said those who suffer injustice at the hand of an oppressor hate the oppressor. That makes sense, right? To say, oh, my people have been oppressed by this group of people, for hundreds of years, it makes sense to me why this group of people would hate this group of people. What doesn't make sense is why the people who do the oppressing hate the people they oppress. That's baffling to me, but here's the reality. Here's, I, I think there's a variety of reasons for that, not all of which we can go into today, but you see this principle again and again throughout the history of the world. Those who oppress hate those with no apparent reason that they oppress, and at least one of the reasons in this story, I think, is because Tamar's presence reminds Amnon of his own wickedness and he can't handle it. Get her out of my sight. Bolt the door. I want her gone. Because he knows he's a fool. He's just been told he's a fool before he's committed the act that revealed him to be a fool. Then he commits the act and wants her gone. Because one glance at her reminds him exactly what kind of fool he is. And it reminds him that God's judgment is aimed at him. It reminds him that God's judgment is aimed at him. And we can't have that. At least one of the reasons that injustice causes an unreasonable hatred in the heart of the one who commits the injustice is because because looking at the person we've committed the injustice against, being near them, we... One, have treated them as an object, and two, we recognize there's something about that, even if it's unspoken, we recognize that their very presence is an indictment of us. And what that does is it creates hatred in us towards them for reminding us of that indictment against us. Am I that's a little convoluted. Is it making sense? So here's a test case for us in our hearts as it pertains to am I committing injustice? against someone, somewhere? I mean, you don't have to think broadly about issues of race or sex or, you know, gender. Just, just think very, in small terms, in my workplace, in my home, in my family, am I committing acts of injustice and justifying them as small or insignificant. Do I find in my heart that a hatred, not just indifference, like indifference might even make sense here, But hatred grows, like an unreasonable hatred, if I find that growing in my heart towards someone, I should ask myself the question, have I committed an injustice against them that is causing this unreasonable feeling of disdain and anger and hatred towards them in my heart? That's a great litmus test question to ask ourselves. Don't just kind of, don't just hear, let me tell you what not to do. When you find anger and hatred growing in your heart towards another person, don't just slough it off as if, well, they're annoying or they're bothersome or they're this or they're that. Like, don't just look for the reasons to justify your feelings towards them. Ask yourself the question, why is this growing in my heart? And be open to the possibility before God's spirit, when you say, examine me, God, examine me, be open to the possibility that perhaps you've committed an injustice against them that needs to be rectified and repented of. At least ask that question. I'm not saying that's always why that would be taking place in your heart, but it's certainly a possibility that we see here in this story. And it's one for us to consider. Next observation. Observation number seven. Injustice steals some valuable aspect of a person's image-bearing nature. We see this in verses 18 and 19. Injustice steals some invaluable aspect of a person's image-bearing nature. Let me explain that term when I say image-bearing nature. Some of you are familiar with it, but some of you may not be. One of the things the scriptures teach is that all human beings, whether Christians or not, all human beings are made in the image of God, that we reflect something about our creator, And as a result, we say that all people bear the image of God. And what injustice really is, is not just taking something from somebody. Injustice is in some way diminishing the image of God in someone else. That's really what acts of injustice are aimed at. They're aimed at lowering, belittling, and ripping away from someone some aspect of a way in which they bear God's image. And we see that here. Tamar was clothed in purity. That's a reflection of the image of God, isn't it? God's purity, His holiness, his, his goodness and Tamar, by all accounts, she, she had that purity, and she wore, it and she wore it as an outer garment in her, in her culture. The garment she wore reflected that reality. They reflected this reality of the nature of God that she was reflecting through her choices to be pure and chaste and lovely and good. And when that was ripped from her, you see her demonstrating that by ripping her garments and putting ashes on her head instead of the veil that she would have worn. She wore long sleeve, we don't know what part of the garment she tore, but she's clearly proclaiming, something has been taken from me. And I'm gonna demonstrate that by taking my clothing now and showing it in a physical way. And in doing that, what she's teaching us thousands of years later is that this injustice isn't just a man taking something from a woman. It's, it's a ripping away of some aspect of the nature of God. So we have to cultivate the skill of grieving whenever we see image-bearing diminished. Whenever we see image-bearing diminished in another person, we should cultivate the habit of grieving that. And I'll give you two prayers from the Psalms to pray, and they're just super short so we can all remember them, right? Uh, Just combining two Psalms together. One prayer when we see injustice committed is to say, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Just please. When we say that, what we're really saying is we don't want this to continue. We want these days of injustice to be done, and we want your reign of righteousness to come in. How long, O oh Lord, will this last? Please bring it to an end. How long, O oh Lord? And combine that with the other prayer. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy, which is a prayer of compassion. It's just a way of saying, God, this injustice that has been done. Have, have mercy on the victim of this injustice. Bring mercy to them. It's a regular prayer when someone in our congregation loses a family member. That's what I find coming out of my mouth more often than not. Because what, what do you pray in those moments? It's hard, right? It's hard. Now, I, I'm not talking about an injustice here. I'm just talking about a, a death, when death occurs. The prayer that I find coming out of my mouth most often gathered with families is, Lord, in this moment, just have mercy on us. Come with your tender mercy. Remind them of your steadfast love reading Psalm 53 this morning just in my quiet time with the Lord. Psalm 53 8 and I was just struck by the reminder. It says the Psalmist David, David writing it says I will trust in your steadfast love. I will trust in your steadfast love. I want to I be someone who trusts in God's steadfast love. Never forgets that God loves. His love is steadfast. Observation number 8 this is the last two here. Observation number 8 Injustice requires more than a bad feeling or more than feeling bad. Injustice requires more than feeling bad. Now this is really the theme of the whole sermon. You're getting it, I know. We cannot remain silent, but in verse 21, what is it? David was what? Angry. So what? What good is the king's anger if he doesn't do anything about what Amnon has done? And that's exactly what happens. David does nothing. And that's, that's such a good reminder for us because how many of us see injustices being done and we feel badly about it, but do we do anything? And the whole message of this story, friends, for all of us, this has challenged me all week, is we don't get to do nothing. And that article in Christianity Today I referenced, um, they, they, this Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote, was, I was reminded of it through that article. Listen to Dietrich, he says this. It's an old theologian. It says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. That should be sobering. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. I thought that was an appropriate quote. Taking action regarding injustice under your authority. So look, two things here, two ways to apply this, Okay. If injustice is done under your authority as it was done under David's authority, don't feel bad about it, do something about it. Take action. Take action. If injustice is done and you're aware of it and it's not under your authority, bring it to the attention of the person whose authority is in play. Those are two very important things that we can practice and they're not they're they they are difficult, but they're simple. They can be done. If it's under your authority, take action. If it's under someone else's authority, be someone who persistently brings to the attention of the person in authority the injustice done underneath their authority. Bring their attention to it and keep bringing their attention to it. Observation number nine. Failure to deal with injustice leads to more injustice. And we see this in verse 21 through 29, which I didn't read, but what happens there is that Absalom makes a plan to kill Amnon, and then he does. So brother kills brother. Fulfillment of Hebrews chapter 12, exactly what the prophet said would happen. The sword would never depart from David's house because of what David had done. So David's failure to deal with injustice, because here's what we think. We think that when we don't deal with injustice, we sweep it under the rug, we say nothing about it, we don't deal with it, that it will eventually just go away. Don't we think that? And that will never be the case, injustice, always breeds more injustice and that's exactly what happens here. Injustice always breeds more injustice. So it's a motive for us, a motivation for us to deal with injustice when we encounter it and see it under our authority because it will never just be satisfied. It will never just stop. Injustice has to be confronted and dealt with in order for it to be stopped. Otherwise, it just continues to perpetuate and brings about more injustice So those are some observations from the text here today about injustice. But again, as we come to the table, in fact, I'll invite the servers to come. If you'll come, we're gonna take communion together. The thing I want you to see and remember is this, as we come to the table, and it's an appropriate reminder, is that this table represents for us the fact that the Son of God is God's remedy for injustice. Jesus the Son is God's remedy for injustice. He has come to do something about injustice, to not leave it unpunished. And that means a couple of things. If you hear today and know that you have been one who has perpetrated injustice, hear this as a warning because God will not leave injustice undealt with he will not ultimately be silent. And that injustice will be dealt with in one of two ways. The judgment will fall on you or it will fall on Jesus if you will come in repentance, seeking forgiveness. The cross is this great, mysterious, wonderful gift which both invites the victim of injustice to come and see that the shame that was attempted to be heaped on you has now fallen on the Son of God. He bears it for you, and you no longer have to bear it. And it also is the place where those who perpetrate injustice can come and receive forgiveness for the injustice they've done. What a remarkable thing. There's nothing else like it. The cross of Jesus. As we hold the elements in our hands today, we're meant to set our eyes on him, and we're meant to invite the Holy Spirit to examine us. And so I'll I'll instruct you, church, to do that as you hold the elements in your hand, to invite the Spirit of God to bring conviction and to bring comfort, to to weigh what you hold in your hands.